for me, this draws my mind to the debate of whether we as humans are inherently good or inherently sinful. And in a lot of ways, I think that that is sort of the million-dollar question. I've often found that this can be one of the largest points of contention when approaching a religious discussion. Consider these two worldviews. The first, that we are born inherently good. That deep down, all people are good. This is something that is becoming a more and more common belief, particularly in the modern world. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to An Average Account of Exceptional Things. My name is Chandler, and I am your host. Thanks for joining us today. So, welcome back. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that we're coming off of a month-long series that we did on the Fruits of the Spirit. And this week, we are back at it with a topic that I feel hits particularly hard in today's world. Today, we're going to be discussing the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, this is one of those things that isn't a third-tier or a second-tier issue. What do I mean by that? Well, in case I've never introduced it on the show before, there is a common analogy when we're discussing uh, issues concerning the Christian faith. It's the wedding cake analogy. So, imagine, if you will, a three-tiered wedding cake. So, you have the bottom layer, which is kind of the foundation, and then the second layer, a little bit smaller, and the third on top resting on the first two. So the first tier issues are the issues at the bottom. They are the foundation of the wedding cake. And those are things that are foundational to the Christian faith. So if you don't agree on those things, if you don't believe those things, then you're not a Christian. Uh, For example, the death and resurrection of Christ as the atonement for our sins. Uh, Obviously, if it wasn't for that, uh, it wouldn't be called Christianity. That is a great example of probably the number one first-tier issue that you have to have in order to be a Christian. So then the second-tier issues are denominational issues. That's where you get offshoots uh, like Church of God, Church of Christ, Baptist, Methodist, all that sort of stuff. And then third-tier issues at the very tippy-top are the things that individual members, even within the same church body, may disagree about. And that's okay. So like I said before, that is a long-winded explanation, all to say this is a first-tier topic. I would consider this as something that is foundational to the Christian faith. So the sufficiency of Scripture, what does that actually mean? Well, this refers to the understanding that God's Word is all we need to prepare and equip us for life. It's exactly like it sounds, that Scripture is sufficient. We don't need Scripture and a great theology book from the local Barnes & Noble. We don't need Scripture and a weekly podcast. We just need Scripture. We have to have Scripture. Now, those other things are fine. Obviously, I wouldn't be recording this if I felt like it was in some way detracting from Scripture. 
devotional books, articles about theology, podcasts, you name it. All those things, if they're aligning with Scripture, can be a fine source of encouragement or maybe even an aid to help guide your study of Scripture. But ultimately, none of those things are worthy to even be compared with the living Word of God. Only Scripture has the power to guide and change our lives. And that's why we should always be checking the things that we're reading or we're hearing with Scripture. And it's also why there's never going to be an adequate substitute for Scripture in our lives either. And that's something that I try to bear in mind as well. That's one of my primary goals for this podcast. I want these weekly episodes to be an inspiration for personal study, not a substitute for personal study. And so with that, I feel like we've introduced this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. I want to go ahead and look at a piece of Scripture now. This is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now there are a few key takeaways here. For starters, It's clearly stated here that Scripture is sufficient to equip us for every good work. That's pretty plain and simple, and I think that it can be a great source of encouragement or just an easy, quick reference to go ahead and start out this discussion. The second big takeaway for me, however, is that all Scripture is God-breathed. That's a defining mark that separates Scripture from our own philosophical revelations or simply just an attractive argument made with lots of charisma. It isn't a turn of phrase when people refer to the Bible as the Word of God, because that's exactly what it is. Now, I know that some people are going to probably argue that this is kind of cyclical. What I mean by that is, okay, I'm sitting here and I say, the Scripture affirms that the Scripture is the Word of God. And because the Scripture is the Word of God, I can trust it when it tells me that it's the Word of God. How do I know that I can trust Scripture in the first place? I get it. For anyone listening who may be in that situation where you're asking yourself, can I trust Scripture in the first place? Whether you're a Christian facing doubts or you're someone who isn't a Christian but is curious about the Christian faith, here's some food for thought concerning that. First, I'll say this. I would highly encourage you to consider scrolling back and giving episode 3 a listen. The title of that episode is Doubt, and there is some very good discussion about faith in that episode. And I think that it really does, in a lot of ways, come down to a question of faith. Now, that's relevant to this topic in multiple ways, uh, but the one that I want to reiterate here 
is this point. We all place our faith in something. As human beings, we are incapable of knowing everything. And because we can't know everything, we have to have faith. At some point, we all have to have faith in something. Even for an atheist or an agnostic, it isn't that that individual doesn't have faith in anything. It's that they place their faith in something else besides God. So if you feel like you can't trust scripture, then I would encourage you to consider where you're placing your faith instead as sort of a first step in digging deeper for that. And that advice would go for both Christians and those who are not Christians. So if that line of thinking seems worth exploring more for you, uh, it is explained in greater detail in episode 3. So again, if you feel like that's calling out to you, consider giving that a listen for a little more in-depth discussion. But additionally, I would say it's also worthwhile to consider looking into the history of the Bible, as well as the historical accuracy of the events described in Scripture. I find that these are some other bits of information that can bolster a trust in the truthfulness of Scripture as well. So, like I said, that's just some food for thought for anyone who may be struggling with the idea of first trusting Scripture, because ultimately that idea that Scripture is sufficient is building on the underlying understanding that Scripture is the correct and complete Word of God. So, progressing on to our next area of discussion, what are some ways the sufficiency of Scripture impacts our lives? That's really the million-dollar question in a lot of ways. How do we see this changing our day-to-day lives, the way that we approach our spiritual walks, as well as the way we interact with others? Well, I think the first way is this. We have a clear roadmap of where to turn when we need guidance. And here I would like to reference Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There are a lot of answers in Scripture, but often we find ourselves in a difficult situation and we're seeking wisdom. And when we look to God for guidance, a lot of times we jump straight to praying for discernment, which is a fine thing to do. There's nothing wrong with praying for discernment. Don't misunderstand me. But what we might fail to consider is the discerning power that Scripture has. We're tempted to go searching for a new piece of wisdom or a fresh revelation in those circumstances when we feel like our situation is brand new and unique. But the truth is that nothing we face is new or unique. And in addition to that, Scripture is just as much God's Word as if He spoke audibly to you right at this moment. And the point that I'm about to express is one that I can't take credit for. It came from a sermon that I heard from the pastor K.J. Pugh. 
but I feel like it is particularly relevant to this discussion. Uh, He was preaching about this very topic. Why is it that so often we cry out to God for answers, but then we refuse to turn to the answers that he's already provided to us in Scripture? Now, for me personally, when I read that and when I heard it, I thought, wow, that sounds kind of silly. I mean, when you step back and look at it, it seems like the obvious response to turn to Scripture. It's right there. It's so accessible for a lot of us. But we don't. Not that there's anything wrong with asking God for answers. Again, I can't stress that enough. But if we're searching for answers, why wouldn't we turn as well to the living word of God? So I think that that's the first way that I notice the sufficiency of Scripture having a very tangible impact on our spiritual walks. The second impact is that it provides a measure with which we can interpret our subjective experiences. If you are a regular listener, you might even be able to predict what I'm about to say. Don't take my word for it, take God's word for it. It has quickly become one of my favorite sayings on this show, and I think probably for good reason. You know, we've discussed this previously regarding revelations, and not the book revelations, referring to having a revelation. If you feel like God is leading you to go in a way that is contradictory to the commandments laid out in Scripture for us, then it may be true that something is leading you down that path, but it isn't the Lord. And I want to back this up now with another couple verses. These are going to be from Proverbs chapter 30. It's going to be verses 5 and 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. The reality is, we don't uncover new truths as time goes on. Really, as a whole, our relation as humans on this earth to God is the same now as it was even in the days of many of the New Testament books. There's still only one Savior. Jesus, just the same as there was then. The way to salvation is the same, faith in Christ, his death and resurrection as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is the same single way to salvation, just like it has been. All the same things that were sinful then are still sinful now, even though it seems like we're always discovering fresh ways to commit those sins. Now, here I'd like to pause and present an illustration that I think can be helpful to what I just said. Uh, It seems like we are discovering fresh ways to commit those sins, but it's the same sins. Once again, let me reiterate, nothing has really changed. This reminds me of an argument that is made occasionally in the spheres of law and criminal justice that I've heard a time or two. It's referred to as the old wine, new bottles stance or illustration. And essentially it's this. We had a great shift in the opportunities for crime 
as we developed the internet over the last several decades. It's become a very widespread thing now, and it's created a lot of wonderful opportunities. For example, uh, the ability to share this recording with people potentially across the world. But it's also created more opportunities for criminal activity. And the old wine, new bottles illustration, it kind of illustrates this idea that the crimes are the same, but they're just taking place in a different way. Identity theft could have occurred in the physical world. Maybe someone stole a photo ID or a passport or forged some documents. But now we find a lot of cases of identity theft occurring in a digital space. People have their information stolen online. It's the same crime in a new setting. And now, bringing that back to the context of our situation as people with relation to God, the things that are sinful now are the same things that were sinful then. The same sins that we struggle with today are the exact same sins that have plagued humanity since that first original sin. All that's changed is the setting in which we commit those sins. And that's why I'm skeptical of individuals who seek to adapt Christianity to the world today. Even though we connect with people in new ways, such as through the television or the internet, the true and correct message is exactly the same. Because spiritually, nothing has changed since the New Covenant. And because of that, we don't need to add anything to God's Word. Because it is just as sufficient now as it always has been. God's omniscience aside, why would we expect that we need a new revelation or a new message from God when there is nothing new about our spiritual reality for humanity as a whole? Consider that for a moment. Not only that, but we should also refrain from adding to Scripture because it falsely places our own words on the same level of significance as those of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that we should never have opinions or speak about Scripture. I am simply saying that we need to always recognize our words and thoughts as exactly what they are. They're the result of our own understanding, by no means comparable to the living Word of God. The final impact that we're going to discuss today is that recognizing the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that our hope is found through God's Word and not from within ourselves. So this ties in very closely to what we were just discussing. Here I would like to go ahead and read our final group of verses for today, and this is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, once again, I have to give credit 
to KJPU. This is coming from that same sermon that I referenced just a little bit ago. But I would like to expand on this point a little bit. For me, this draws my mind to the debate of whether we as humans are inherently good or inherently sinful. And in a lot of ways, I think that that is sort of the million-dollar question. I've often found that this can be one of the largest points of contention when approaching a religious discussion. And I would like to go ahead and point back at this time to episode 5 for anyone who is looking for a more in-depth discussion about this topic as well. But in terms of what we're discussing right here and now, consider these two worldviews. The first, that we are born inherently good. That deep down, all people are good. This is something that is becoming a more and more common belief, particularly in the modern world. So if we're born inherently good, that means that over the course of our lives, we are corrupted by the world around us. Because we would all agree, I would hope, that no one's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone falls short. And so if you are born good and corrupted by the world around you, that makes for a pretty dismal outlook on life. I mean, really, just put yourself in that situation for a moment. You're born good. The best that you'll ever be as long as you live is when you're first born. And then over time, you just become more and more degraded and corrupted by the world around you. And then you live 80, maybe 90 years if you live a particularly long time. And all the while, you're just becoming more corrupted until eventually your life on this earth is over. That is a very dismal outlook. I mean, where is the hope in that at all? Now, compare this to the understanding that humans are inherently sinful by nature. It's less appealing at the beginning, I'll give you that. But put this into the context of the gospel message. Because the gospel is not about what we've done. The gospel is about what has been done for us, the incredible saving work that has been done for us in spite of our actions. And so, sure, we're born sinful into a broken world. But then we have hope for forgiveness. We can be redeemed and justified through Christ. And so then, instead of a downward trajectory, from the moment that a person is saved, their trajectory is heading up. And some days, it may feel like one step forward and two steps back, but it is a process of progressive sanctification. And so, over time, through the highs and the lows, you become more and more sanctified. You become more and more refined into a Christ-like image. Until, eventually, at the end of your life, you're glorified and you inherit eternal life with God. To me, that is a much more appealing circumstance than being born inherently good and the implications that that has on our outlook for the future. And it's not a fun 
understanding to adopt. Because I would imagine that we would all like to think that we are born inherently good, that deep down we are a good person at the core of it, at the center of our nature. But ultimately, we have to accept that we are sinful and that we are broken, that our world is broken. Because step one is recognizing that we need saving. I've said it before, but I'll go ahead and say it again. The news that Christ has the power to save is only good news when we recognize first that we need saving. And so that understanding that God's word holds the answers for the hardships we face and that we can't find that spiritual nourishment on our own is really quite freeing because it takes us from a downward trajectory devoid of hope to one that is moving forward, full of hope for the future. It takes us from searching for answers in a place that will never find them to knowing exactly where we should turn. Even though our circumstances vary and the way we understand the situations that we may find ourselves in is subjective, Scripture is constant. And though different passages may speak to your specific circumstance over time, Scripture serves as an immovable foundation upon which we are able to build our lives and to grow in our faith. So as we start to wrap up today, I want to go ahead and offer a few closing thoughts as always. Particularly for a discussion about Scripture, I felt like this is one topic that I had to address before we close things out today. I know some people have concerns about the process of translation. Since most of us read the Bible in our native language, whether that's English, Spanish, French, whatever it may be, in terms of the approach used in translation, there are some variances from one version to the next. Some translations that I personally recommend from my own experience and research would be the King James Version, or KJV, uh, the English Standard Version, or the ESV, and the Christian Standard Bible, which is the CSB. Now, that is not an exhaustive list. There are several exceptional translations out there, so I would say if you're unsure of which one to purchase, do your research diligently because the approaches reputable translations use tend to be pretty transparent. Now, usually the more widely used translations are going to be very reputable and accurate. So my advice is always to consider one of those. In case I haven't said it in a while, all of the verses that you hear on this podcast are from the English Standard Version, or ESV. So hopefully that's helpful for anyone who is deciding on a translation. But with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Thank mm-hmm. you.